last week looked at a little bit of the passage that we're going to look again at today. Um, so uh, if you have a Bible with you, of course, it'll be on screen as well. You can turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 33 and go to the end of the chapter, verse 50. Uh, so let's uh, try to track with Jesus here, Mark 9, 33 to 50. You'll know what I mean. Then they came to Capernaum. After Jesus was inside the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. After he sat down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, because no one who does a miracle in my name will be able soon afterward to say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. For I tell you the truth, Whoever gives you a cup of water because you bear Christ's name will never lose his reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone tied around his neck and be thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than to have two hands and go into hell to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, speak to us about your word, about the words that you shared, Lord. Help us understand them. Lord, the intensity of your teaching here is, um, it's troubling to me. And uh, the, the graphic examples that you use about the severity of sin is, uh, it's scary. And so uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear you well, <laughs> um, even if that means we need to be a little bit troubled and scared, help us to hear you well. And help us, Lord, to see your word, to understand it, to believe it, to be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, 
so did you follow that? <laughs> um, what's Jesus talking about here? We start with little kids welcoming him. We talk about this guy who's casting out demons. He's an unauthorized exorcist. We talk about um, who's with Jesus and who's against him and how you decide. We talk about getting a cup of water from someone because you bear Jesus' name. We, there's this whole section about how it's better to be drowned or maimed than, uh, than do these various things, than to sin. Uh, are we talking about hell? Are we talking about fire? What's the bit about salt? There, I mean, if you tried to follow with that, I, I hope you're confused because that would just make me feel better about myself. I've been struggling with this passage all week. Um, in fact, every commentator I looked at says, oh, this is, uh, Mark pulled a few sort of various sayings of Jesus together. Um, and they had some key words that he thought, oh, these are similar to each other. Fire is causing someone to sin. Um, you know, if, if this, it would be better to do that horrible thing. Uh, you know, salts, like maybe that's it. I disagree, you know, humbly, I, I disagree. I, I don't want to put myself over against these excellent commentators, but I, I have not seen a ex single example in, in this study of the Gospel of Mark where he just like pulls together some random ideas. You know, like, oh, I'm not sure where to stick these thoughts, so we'll put them at the end of chapter nine. You know, um, this isn't a random collection. I think Mark is talking about thing here. So here, let me lay my theory on you. That's what this sermon is. I think Mark is talking about greatness, true kingdom greatness the whole time through all of these troubling scenes. It, it, it starts with one of the famous, if not baffling pieces of Jesus style logic. You want to be greatest? Be least. Be servant of all. That's that's where it starts. That's, that's his opening line. And he says this thing about the kid. He starts with this kid. He brings in a kid and says, welcome this child. If you do, you're welcoming me. You're welcoming my father. And we hear that and we think, oh, that's nice. We like kids. They're cute. Some with their, you know, quiet enough or whatever. Um, you know, we, that's sweet. That's a nice thing. Guys, we... We miss this. We typically view childhood. This is from uh, an, uh, a priest, Robert Capone. He says, we view childhood as a wonderful and desirable state, and we miss the point of this passage. In Jesus' time, for most of the centuries since, childhood was almost always seen as a less than human condition that was to be beaten out of children as soon as possible. Therefore, when Jesus sets up a little child as an example, he is setting up not a winsome specimen of all that is simple and charming, but rather one of life's losers. He's telling his disciples that if they follow him in his mysterious messiahship, they will, like him, have to become something no one has any real use or respect for. Ooh, that's, that's hard for us to hear based on the way we think typically about kids. May, many of us, maybe some of you are like, yeah, but, um, you know. All right, so it, it, his point is that if you 
think you're confused by what Jesus says. The disciples are utterly befuddled. And John, John, who speaks up right after that, one of the disciples, he's going to prove how confused he is. Jesus says, you know, welcome one of these kids. You'll be welcoming me. John's like, oh, we saw a guy casting out demons and he wasn't allowed to. You know, like, Let's talk about something else, Jesus. Let me remind you that we're in and there's outsiders and we got to keep your movement pure because we're going to Jerusalem and we're taking it and you're setting up your kingdom. And so that's important. And let's go back to the fact that we're with you and you got to bring me up on the mountain even, you know, John, John and, and uh, Peter and James, they went up on the mountain of transfiguration. Like John, John's like, remember we're, we're in, all right? Like we're part of your crew. And John gives Jesus an opportunity to explain himself. What is he talking about with least and last and servant of all? when it comes to greatness. This idea is so very hard to grasp, not because it's complex, it's actually quite simple, but because it is so backward from our normal way of living. And that's what we see in the rest of this. So the first thing, thanks to John, that Jesus teaches us about greatness is that greatness in his kingdom is gracious, whereas death and hell are jealous. Greatness is gracious, whereas death and hell are jealous. Here's what's going on with John. John is at risk of becoming the great character in Les Miserables named Javert. Now, presumably not many of you, maybe some of you are familiar with the, the great novel that became the musical Les Miserables, all right? But let me, let me set it up for you. It's this great story, all right? So the main character is Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean was uh, a prisoner. He was in prison for a long time. He was kind of a tough and violent, very strong prisoner. And finally, he is released, all right? And he gets out and he has this moment where grace changes his life. It's a moving moment, but that's not the point of what I'm sharing about. And he, his life is utterly transformed. He becomes a successful businessman. He's, you know, he's incredibly just. He's transforming people's lives. In fact, he's so famous in the community that he becomes the mayor of this uh, little town. And he's a great man. He's a great man. And then Javert, the policeman, is transferred to Jean Valjean's town. Javert had been a guard in the prison where Jean Valjean was imprisoned. And he knew what a, what a bad guy Jean Valjean was. And now he sees Jean Valjean and he is um, great. He, he's everything Javert wishes he could be. But Javert knows Jean Valjean's past. Now, Valjean has been operating under a different name. All right. He's He's hiding his past identity. That's, you know, that's a detail that's important. And Javert says, justice demands that I expose Jean Valjean. Justice, he becomes, it becomes a years-long obsession for Javert because this man is doing the good things, the powerful acts, and he has greatness and respect, and Javert wants it. He cannot live in a world where an ex-con 
is who Jean Valjean is. And, and he's just this obsessed police chief. John is at risk of becoming Javert. And so Jesus says to John, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, and he's probably referring to the exorcist, not the kid from before. Little ones can mean a new one, someone who's young, not quite an insider, not quite mature. That's what little ones can mean. If you cause him to sin, which is the word scandalize, if you scandalize him, that could mean that you lead him astray. It could also mean that you just you know, throw mud on his reputation. If you cause him to sin, it would be better for you if a millstone, which is a giant stone that ground, you know, for grinding grain, you know, that uh, took an animal to move it, was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. You were drowned. I don't know if Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Miserables, had this story in mind, but eventually Javert becomes so distorted and, and realizes his only out is to lock himself in the chains that he was trying to bind Jean Valjean with, and he jumps in the river and dies. It's the, it's the, he realizes that is his only out. He's spent his life trying to scandalize Jean Valjean. Greatness is gracious. It welcomes in the outsider. It doesn't look for ways to tarnish their name. That's the first thing. The second thing, and it's easy to miss in this passage because it's tucked in, is that greatness in Jesus' kingdom is vulnerable. It's vulnerable, whereas death and hell are self-reliant. It's so quick you can miss it, but he says this statement. In fact, if anyone gives a cup of water to you because you bear the name Christ, they won't lose their reward. What's Jesus talking about there? He is saying, you guys who are, who are authorized, you guys who do bear the name of the king, you know, the one who bears the name Christ is like an ambassador for Jesus. They, they, they come in the name of the king. And when they're traveling, they are so in need that they need their, their hosts even to give them a cup of water. They are so needy for help. This is very similar to what Jesus talks about in his famous story of the, the sheep and the goats. And maybe you know about the sheep and the goats. Jesus tells this story about the end of history. And, and he's going to gather all people and divide them up into these two groups. And, and they'll be divided, you know, the sheep on this side and the goats on this side, uh, based on how they cared for people who were destitute. People who were imprisoned, naked, hungry, thirsty. Jesus said, whatever you did to those, you did to me. And so the sheep are welcomed into his kingdom and the goats um, aren't. <laughs> you know, similar scary hell statements in that story. What we miss in that story is that Jesus says, what you did to the least of these, my brothers. In other words, those who have become part of Jesus' family are the ones who need the care, the ones who are hungry, naked, thirsty, and even imprisoned. Jesus is talking about how the non-believing world responds to believers who have made themselves utterly vulnerable. And he's making that point here. Least of all and servant of all are the people who need a cup of water from their host. All right, greatness is vulnerable. 
greatness in Jesus' kingdom is pure in its humility, whereas death and hell are vain and arrogant. So greatness is gracious, greatness is vulnerable, greatness is pure in its humility. Now, if you weren't scared by this passage, then you, you weren't listening. If you weren't troubled, you weren't listening. Jesus says the people, like, people who go against what he's saying should be drowned, maimed, self-amputation, blinded. My goodness, Th this is t terrifying what he's saying in this passage. And throughout the centuries, believers have applied this very literally. I mean, there's some troubling stories about believers deciding that certain parts of their bodies were causing them to sin. And, you know, I won't go into detail, but look it up if you have courage. Um, my goodness. So they, they're, they're, is, did Jesus really believe that your hand or your foot or your eye could be blamed for your sinful decisions? Based on the rest of the teachings of Jesus, I don't think he really believed that. Or I don't think he said, like, it was my hand's fault, you know? Like, I don't, don't, don't think that's where he's going. And in other places where he uses the same illustration that's so scary about chopping off parts of our body, he is talking about sexual purity. He's talking about lust and, and, and adultery in Matthew chapter 5. I don't think that that's what he's talking about here. That's not what he's getting at. I think he may be talking about lust in Matthew, but in this scene, he is talking about pride. About pride. To illustrate this, I want to tell you about Francis of Assisi, St. Francis. Now, you may know about St. Francis as the, the nice guy who preaches to animals. You know, that's what you may remember about him. But St. Francis made himself utterly humble for the sake of the kingdom. He, he refused to own any of his own possessions. And if he had something, if he had a, a shirt on his back and he decided that you needed it more than him, he considered it theft not to give it to you. So his friends were constantly trying to keep him healthy because he's always cold. He's always giving his stuff away. Now, Francis builds this little movement, and he goes to Rome, and he asks, you know, the, the only church in, 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 um, in the West is the Catholic Church. So he goes to the Pope, and he asks permission for his little movement to be authorized. He, he wants to be, you know, unlike the guy casting out demons, he wants to be authorized to do the work that he's doing. So he goes and asks the Pope's permission. And, and the Pope who, you know, history will tell you, Pope Innocent III, he had some corruption issues himself. But after a, a week or two of prayer, he gives Francis permission and says, go and preach for the purity of the church. And so Francis goes out and, and it's his mission assigned by the Pope to help purify the church. And there's so much corruption in the church at this point. You know, you go into a town and the local priest has, you know, has all sorts of women living in his house and he's taking money from the church and he's living in luxury while other people are living in poverty. So what would you expect Francis to do? To go into the town and set up his soapbox and, and expose the, the wicked priest, right? The Pope gave me permission to do this. That's what you would expect Francis to do. But that's not what Francis does. Francis goes into each town 
He finds the priest. He has all of his followers, his little crew, the Franciscans. They, they, they kiss the local priest's feet. They carry brooms with them. And when they go into the chapel, the church, if it's messy at all, they sweep it clean and they repair things that are broken. They ask the priest's permission to preach in the town. They honor the priest. They, even if he is corrupt, they are pointing to him and honoring him. In a way, they're maiming their own reputation, so to speak, in order to preserve the purity and unity of the church and the message. All right, Francis is, he's doing the opposite of what John does in this story. He's, he's willingly making himself weak and vulnerable and humble, even to the point of associating with somebody that he thinks would be really corrupt in order to draw greater glory to Jesus' name. Why describe that as amputation here? Well, if you lost a hand, a foot, or an eye in the first century, there was no Disabilities Act to protect you. You were dependent and destitute. You needed others. Greatness, Jesus says, seeks that. It pursues that as radically as St. Francis. That's the third thing, greatness is humble. Finally, greatness is saved. Whereas death and hell are so opposed to being used that they become useless. Greatness is saved. And those two things are opposite. At the end of our passage, Jesus asks how unsalty salt can become salty again. Right? And, and, and in Matthew, that same thing, when he says that, he goes on to say, yeah, so like just it's thrown out and trampled on, right? And so we all assume, we read this and we all assume, yeah, he's saying it's over. If you've lost your saltiness, like that should be as scary as the rest of this passage. Like you can lose your saltiness and there's nothing that can, that can help you. But John, one of the disciples, lost his saltiness at the beginning of our passage. Just like I lose my saltiness each week. And maybe you do too. Many of us assume the answer is, how can it be made salty? The answer to that question is, well, it can't. It should be thrown out. And then we would say, you know, thrown out. Like something that is the least of all. The servant of all, something that is in last place, the loser. Reflecting on the upside down, inside out way God interacts with us, Martin Luther highlights the issue. God accepts no one except the abandoned. He makes no one healthy except the sick. He gives no one sight except the blind. He brings no one to life except the dead. He makes no one holy except sinners. How can salt be made salty again? By being ruined for Christ. When we really embrace this idea, we understand what it means to be least of all and servant of all. These ideas will begin to make sense, and it could take a lifetime. 
And John is a great example. John, who in this scene is saying, we saw him doing a bad thing and we're do doing good things. And then in the next chapter, the little, little preview here, he, John and James come to Jesus and they're, you know, can we sit at your right and left hand? You know, can we have the two greatest seats in the kingdom? Like he still isn't getting it as a young man. But we have letters that John wrote as an old man. John lived, he lived longer than the rest of the, his, of the disciples. He lived into old age. And this same John to whom Jesus speaks here uh, has this statement about the hand and the foot and the eye in mind, I believe, when he wrote the letter that we call 1 John. He wrote it to a church that was divided, trying to figure out who are the insiders and who are the outsiders? Who are the true believers? How do we understand it? And John, after spending a lifetime of being shaken by his Lord saying, it would be better to cut off a hand or a foot than to sin in this way. After a lifetime of that, it's finally connected for him. He writes this in chapter two of his letter. The one who loves his fellow Christian resides in the light. But the one who hates his fellow Christian is in the darkness. He walks in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He goes on to identify that the people he's writing to are all sorts of people, the young and the old, the, you know, the, the, the elderly, the children, the, the, the young adults, he, every position in society, no matter who you are, if you're a true believer, he says, love and serve one another. Now, okay, you may not see how I'm connecting this just yet. But after I, he identifies all the different groups that are to love and serve one another, here's how John applies it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh... The desire of the eyes and the arrogance that is produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. Do you think Jesus' words impacted John a little bit? He's still thinking about eyes and flesh at the end of his life. My goodness. These scary words early on for John set him on a trajectory where he realizes that his genuine faith, the greatest thing that he can achieve is to love his fellow believers fully, sacrificially. The young man who wanted to excommunicate a Jesus follower because he wasn't a, dis a disciple follower becomes the old man who says you cannot legitimately call yourself a believer if you don't love humbly, authentically, and sacrificially. Now, friends, our hearts may be the culprit, but we sin with our hands, we sin with our feet, we sin with our eyes. Sure, that means we've done, said, and viewed immoral things, but even more, I think it means we have ranked ourselves based on my skill level compared to your, your skill level. 
this person's level of attractiveness compared to that person's level of attractiveness. This person's experiences compared to that person's experiences. We are ranking, and the hand and the foot and the eye are the, the symbols of those rankings. We have ranked, rebuked, mocked, and otherwise judged our fellow believers. There's a time to call out someone who's in error if they're leading people astray, but we need to be incredibly cautious about that. That should be the very last resort. Like St. Francis, what would it look like for us to kiss the feet of the one who we think is corrupt for the sake of the message of the gospel? Friends, all will be salted with fire. That's what Jesus says. It will come to all these, this testing, this trial. O only Mark includes these words. And Mark's audience, they were living through great persecution. They were being salted with fire, facing death every day, facing every day some who were recanting their faith, others who died for it, families who were ripped apart, friendships ruined by the pressures that they faced. Friends, as, as our own society cares about Christianity less and less progressively and dislikes Christianity more and more, I, it's no wonder to me that we spend so much time inside of the Christian world criticizing and dividing with one another. We are, we are backwards when it comes to what greatness is. We've forgotten the words of Jesus. That's displeasing to the Lord. So how can we be at peace with one another? That's his takeaway at the end. Be at peace with one another. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Well, here's how. At the table, friends. At the table. You still have your hands and feet. Looking at everyone around the room. You, good. You still have your hands and feet. Everyone in this room still has your eyes. You can still see. His hands and feet were pierced for you. His eyes filled with blood from the crown of thorns. And the world went dark for him. Jesus' call to you maybe to go through life maimed, lame, and blind if, if that's what it takes to enter the kingdom. But then he makes himself maimed and lame and blind on your behalf. Who's the, who's the servant of all? Who's the least of all? It's the man on the cross who offered his body and his blood to us. So I would invite you to prepare your heart to come to the table. We're going to pray through this, uh, this great Kenyan prayer that we've been praying for a few months now to prepare for the Lord's Supper. And, uh, and I'll do the leader part and Bethany will lead the people part. Please join in with me. Church, is the Father with us? He is. Is Christ among us? He is. Is the Spirit here? He is. This is our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are his people. We are redeemed. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is right to give him thanks and praise. Holy, 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 holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Church, on the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. His body was broken for us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. We are brothers and sisters through his blood. We have died together. We will rise together. We will live together. Amen. Amen. Jesus, Jesus is, is Lord. Lord. And this, this is the feast of victory. The lamb who was slain has begun his reign. Christ is alive forever. We, we are because he is. We're one body. We share one bread. So draw near with faith. Christ is the host, and we are his guests. 